hope that that video is not real, but tonight we're talking about safety. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're safe here. And now that I think about saying that, usually when someone tells me I'm safe, that usually means that I'm, I'm not safe. Uh, we're talking about safety in that video, which again, I, I hope wasn't real. You saw someone who realized very quickly the world is not a safe place. When was the first time that you realized the world's not a safe place? I mean, I don't mean to be so pessimistic, but it's true. I was on an airplane a few years ago, and there was a little boy sitting behind me. I was in the middle seat, and he must have been in the middle seat uh, behind me. Um, and he was loud, and he was excited. I think this might have been his first plane ride, and he was filled with joy to be on this plane. The interesting thing is a lot of adults get scared on planes, and I can't blame them for that because you are in a tiny metal tube flying at hundreds of miles per hour through the air. You have no control. But this little boy hadn't learned fear yet, and he's screaming, blast off! He's ready to go. He's excited. Then at a certain point, I see him sprint past me, toward the bathrooms, probably about like midway through the flight. And as he sprints past, he's still excited. He knows no fear. By the time that he's coming back, he's not really paying attention. He just sees an empty seat next to me. And he sits in that empty seat. And he doesn't realize what's happening yet. He's looking at something. I don't remember what it was. But I'm looking at him and I'm thinking, oh no, I know it's going to happen. I'm about to let fear enter into this little boy's life for the first time. Because I am not his mother. I'm not his mom, and he's going to realize that. And so I'm like preparing myself. I'm looking down at him, and I'm like trying to put on a friendly smile, but it's more like... <laughs> and by the time he looks at me, I'm like, hey, little boy. <laughs> and I could just see his soul screaming through his eyes. And it's like fear was entering his life for the first time. Now, safety was very close to him. His mom was in the row right behind him. Safety was very close, but he felt fear. And for the first time, he realized, maybe I'm not safe. At least on that plane ride, it seemed like for the first time. What do you do when you're afraid? What do you do when you don't feel safe? This is the final week of our series called Getting Through What You're Going Through. And we're talking about a simple but very powerful word tonight, and it is safe. Turn to the person next to you and say, safe. Safe is a comfort word, but sometimes we don't feel safe because we live in a world that reminds us that it is not safe. Now, God's word wants to give us uh, uh, some medicine for that. God's word wants, us to give, wants to give us an antidote for the dangers in the world, wants to reassure us. You heard this in Psalm 84 tonight, where it talks about the smallest of things in this world that ought to feel the most danger. It says, even the sparrows find a home. And the swallow builds her nest and raises her young at a place near your altar, O Lord of heaven's armies, my king and my God. Now there's something interesting about the psalmist writing about sparrows and swallows. They're the most inexpensive, seemingly least valuable creature in the entire world. Out of all the animals that were sold in the market, these were the most inexpensive. Swallows and sparrows would be sold for the equivalent of a penny today the smallest monetary value they could think of. They'd basically just throw these things out and say, if you want it, you can take it. And the Bible is telling us that even the seemingly most invaluable things in the world are safe with God. Do you see the juxtaposition on that? I mean, the sparrow, the swallow, these tiny little things that we think have no value whatsoever compared to the Lord of heaven's armies, the king and God of the universe. Those things go together. Even the sparrow even the swallow is safe with God. It'd be nice to be safe, right? It's good to feel safe. Sometimes we don't feel safe. We feel scared. 
Our brains don't do well when we're not feeling safe. I was reading this week about what, it ha- what happens inside our minds when we don't feel safe. It's interesting, our brain has the ability to essentially hop into an alternate reality. I think the best way that I can explain this is, have you ever woken up from a nightmare and you're having a hard time telling what's real and what's not? A few weeks ago, I had one of the worst dreams I've ever had in my life. In my dream, like, it's just terrible. And I don't think I'm the only person who dreams of like losing family members, but in my dream, my wife died. And I'm like, what? I'm screaming in my dream and I wake up and I'm panting and she's lying down right next to me. My brain hasn't caught up to reality yet. My brain is sensing the fear and whether the fear is real or not, my brain has decided this is reality. And when we don't feel safe, our brain lies to us. Regardless of the actual surroundings around us, our brain can't keep up with reality. When we don't feel safe, our brain tells us this is not going to get better. Our brain tells us it's not going to be okay and you'll never be the same. Our brain can play tricks on us. And when our brain doesn't feel safe, it hops into that alternate reality and we have to catch up. I think a lot of us feel like we're living in a nightmare or we're being told things aren't gonna be okay. We're being told that you're never going to be the same again. I think that this is kind of heartbreaking because the truth is a lot of people out there don't feel safe these days. And so their brains are telling them certain things about their reality. And it doesn't matter if somebody who loves you tells you, no, that's not true. It's not true. Your brain hasn't caught up yet. I read that about half of college students these days are dealing with depression and anxiety. 70% of college students are dealing with some sort of anxious or depressive symptom. So if you are feeling those things, you can look around this room and know you are not alone. This is a safe space to talk about those kinds of things. And I think that the reason why that's so heartbreaking though for us to hear is because there are so many different people out there when we are feeling anxious and we're feeling depressed, our brain is telling us things about reality and whether they're true or not, our brains believe it. And again, as somebody who's dealt with anxious thoughts, somebody who feels like sometimes the world is never going to get better, like I'm not going to be the same, it doesn't matter how often somebody tells me, it's fine, it's okay, my brain's still in that place. I don't feel safe. I'm scared. I'm afraid. And I can't wake up from that nightmare. And even if I do, I'm having a hard time orienting myself. What's real and what's not? I think that a lot of us feel like we're living in nightmares. So what do you do when you're afraid? What do you do when you're not feeling safe? Sometimes we fall into unhealthy things, right? I think sometimes the way that we deal with our fear Sometimes the way that we deal with not feeling safe is we numb ourselves. There's a passage in Psalm chapter 143 and it says this. I think that it's very interesting. I'm losing all hope. I'm feeling hopeless. Maybe I'm feeling depressed. Maybe I'm feeling anxious. I'm losing all hope and I'm paralyzed with fear. What an interesting way to put it. Paralyzed with fear. Because fear is a sensational feeling, isn't it? Sometimes we think the absolute worst thing about fear is that we feel it. You know how your heart trembles. You know how your insides groan. You know the way your body shakes. You know the way that your foot taps. You know the way that you can't relax. You know the way that you just can't sit still when you're afraid. And it's almost like when we're afraid and we're feeling all those things, that is our body's way of just kind of this last, last moment effort to say, I'm gonna feel something until we start to feel numb because the Bible describes as we're paralyzed with fear. And I think a lot of us feel that par- this paralysis of fear. 
And to be paralyzed with fear means you're not feeling anything at all anymore. And it's self-defense. Rather than feeling this fear, rather than dealing with those anxious feelings that are inside of our body, rather than dealing with the depression, we just go numb. And sometimes being numb means that we shut down. And if somebody reached out and tried to touch our soul and they actually made contact with it, we wouldn't feel it because it's paralyzed. It's lost its feeling. Better to feel nothing at all than to feel what I'm feeling in this moment. It's self-defense. And sometimes when we're numb, we go into shutdown. We talked about this a few weeks ago. We shut down, we just break off. We dismiss ourselves. But sometimes people who are numb don't look numb, do they? Sometimes people who are numb look very busy. I thought that this was really interesting. In psychology today, it talked about sometimes we fill our lives with busyness to stop ourselves from dealing with emotions. Staying busy is a wildly used psychological defense against feeling our core emotions. Are you the kind of person who's already full in your schedule and yet you can't say no to something new? You just have to do it? Or maybe you have something that you have to do but you fill your life with something else and you look productive, but you're not getting the things done that you need to. It's numbing ourselves. It's dealing with something else. It's trying to stimulate our minds and our bodies and our souls with something other than the fear that we don't want to face. Other than the thing that makes us feel unsafe. You know that feeling when you've got a lot of homework to do and you spend three hours watching YouTube? Like technically, yes, you're doing something, right? but you're not being productive. When I was in college, I had a friend and he had this huge project due at the end of the semester and he had all semester to work on it, but he kept on putting it off. And do you ever find that you are most productive with other things in life when you have something that's scaring you, something that's bothering you, something you don't feel safe with? It's the reason why your room is cleanest when you have the most homework. I think I'll just clean today. Why? Because I have homework to do. This friend of mine, he got so busy with everything else. He actually built a real working robot throughout the semester that could pick up French fries. That's the way that he showed us that it worked. He brought it to the cafeteria one day. He said, look, I, I built this robot. I can pick up a French fry. And it looked like he was doing so much. The only problem is he's a religion major. And so then the end of the semester, the night before his giant final project is due, he's done lots of things throughout the semester, but he hasn't dealt with the thing that scared him the most. And it hasn't gone anywhere, has it? So many times in our life, we think I can just numb myself. I'll just do something else. I'll just get busier. And what it is, it's just defense. It's a defense from stopping ourselves from, it's a defense to stop ourselves from feeling the things that bother us most, the things that shake our core. Are you someone who can't say no to new things? Are you doing something all the time, but you're not facing the things that are really bothering you? Are you doing something all the time and you don't even know why you said yes to this next thing? Maybe it's because there's a fear that you're not willing to deal with yet. I also read a study from the University of Chicago this week that really kind of offended me. Um, it talked about young adults. Now, young adults, they uh, said we're 18 to 30 years old. So ah, I'm one of you. I'm one of you. I'm 29. And as I was reading this, I'm just barely hanging on, you guys. Just barely. And um, in this study, it said that 18 to 30-year-olds, now get ready to be offended. I, I am the messenger. It did this study about uh, over all generations of adult generations. 
18 to 30 year olds, as they call young adults, waste more hours in a day than any other generation. I, I'm just saying, that's just what they said, okay? And yet we're also the generation, us, you and me, I'm not saying you, you and me, we're also the generation that say that we're, we, we report feeling too busy more than any other generation. Young adults waste more hours in a day and we also feel overwhelmed by being busy more than any other generation. Now, part of this is just because we're not conditioned for it yet. We're not conditioned for it yet, right? Like uh, we have people who show up here on Sunday mornings and like they show up at 5.30, they set up this entire place, they tear it down. They're like, are you kidding me? I put kids through school, through college. I've dealt with all sorts of things. I've had 10 different jobs in my life. I take kids to 4 a.m. practice. I pick them up at 10 at night. This is nothing, right? Like we're not conditioned for it. I get it. But isn't it interesting that we are busy, Right? But sometimes busy means doing things that aren't actually helpful to us. Like we say that we're the busiest, but we waste the most time. I think that it's because we're not willing to deal with the things that scare us. There are things out there that we just don't want to deal with. And again, I don't think that it's entirely our fault. We have more access to more options. We have to manage ourselves more than any other generation has ever had to manage themselves. Back in the day, it wasn't, okay, choose from 500 different things to watch tonight. It was, what's on ABC? That's it. 7.30, public television's coming on. You want to watch? No? All right, well, then you're going to bed. We have to manage ourselves in new ways. And in this way that we've had to manage ourselves, sometimes we manage ourselves in, in bad ways. And it's okay to admit that. But I do think that sometimes the reason why we keep on adding things to our plate that aren't, it's not actually productive. You get down to the end of a week and you're like, I didn't do anything this week. But I was awake the whole week. Like I didn't sleep, but I didn't do anything. I built a robot this semester, but I'm failing my classes. I think this is a real reason why sometimes people put faith off. Because faith, like the Bible tells us the Bible tells us that just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that you're not gonna have to face your fears. In fact, the Bible insinuates, it says this in Psalm 84, just a little bit down in the passage that we read tonight. It says, what joy for those whose strength comes from the Lord. And we're like, yes, Christian, strength, Lord, amen. And then you keep reading and it says strong people cry. Yeah, what joy for those whose strength comes from the Lord when they walk through the valley of weeping. The Bible tells you that if you're a person of faith, if you are a strong person, if you get your strength from the eternal God, you will cry. You will feel unsafe. You will be afraid. When was the last time you cried? When was the last time that you saw pain, inexpressible pain in front of you? Um, you guys all heard this by now. Um, we had to cancel our trip for uh, Haiti this year, which is a real big disappointment. Um, I went to Haiti three years ago, three and a half years ago with some Cairo students, our first year of Cairo, so we ever had it in 2018. 2019, we had to cancel our trip because it wasn't safe. 2020, we had to cancel another mission trip because of COVID. This year, we have to cancel the trip because it's not safe. And I'm not gonna lie, like when I heard about that, I was so sad and it wasn't sad because we're just missing out on the opportunity to travel. I was sad because I was thinking about people that I met when I was down there and how there's another year that's gonna go by where I will not be able to reconnect with them. There's some things in this world that you cannot prepare for. I could not prepare for Haiti. You see pictures of it like this, right? 
But what you don't see in the picture is the feeling. You don't feel the heat. You don't smell the smell. You don't sense the brokenness. It is inexpressible pain as you walk the streets of Haiti. And yet, as they face their fears and as they face their danger, they have this hope. One of the projects that we worked on when we were down there is we were um, uh, assembling these really heavy duty wheelchairs. They look like this. Um, and they're, they're in pretty high demand down there because the terrain is rough. It's not like sidewalks here. Things are changing levels and elevation all the time. So they, they need something heavier duty. Um, and as we're assembling these, I got into a conversation with a guy named Tabenz. Tabenz was telling me about his life, told me about his friends, told me why he likes to work on these things. He has friends who needed these heavy duty wheelchairs. I mean, it's not just because they have heavy terrain there why people need wheelchairs, but instead, or, but also they need wheelchairs down there because they don't have the same medical resources that we have. And so you, if you have a leg injury, there's no guarantee that you're gonna walk again. And so a broken leg for us is an inconvenience for a few months. A broken leg for them might be an entire life change for the rest of their life. And yet he's talking to me about this, how he's passionate to be there. He tells me about his faith tells me about his career. He tells me about his dreams. He tells me about the places he wants to see in the world. He told me about his family. And then he also told me about his daughter. He said, you know, my daughter reminds me that God's close. When I look at my daughter, I remember that God is close. I want that. I want that ability to know that God is close because there are so many times in my life that I feel like God is close because I feel safe. So when I feel safe, I feel God is close. But what if that turned around? What if instead it was because God is close, I feel safe? Not because I feel safe, I will believe God is close. Because I know God is close, I feel safe. Despite the dangers. That passage in Psalm 84 continues. Don't be afraid to keep reading the story. Don't be afraid to keep on pushing. Don't be afraid to take another step in your life because the story continues. God does not leave you in the valley of weeping. It says, when they walk through the valley of weeping, those whose strength comes from the Lord, not if they walk through the valley of weeping, when they walk through the valley of weeping, it will become a, fresh, a place of refreshing springs. The autumn rains will clothe it with blessings. They will continue to grow stronger and each of them will appear before God in Jerusalem. God's doing something. God has this ability. And the original audience who would have been reading this, they wouldn't know what God was going to do to have this ability, but they trusted and they believed, I am safe. Like we have the ability to look back and we see these texts through the lens of Jesus. We're like, okay, Jesus lived and he died for my sins and he rose from the dead. And I see Jesus in these texts. But back in those days, they didn't understand. They didn't know. They just trusted. They just believed God was close. They had to, they had no other choice. And so they had the audacity to believe that the very place where danger has come for me, God has come for my danger. And he protects me. And in the very place that my danger threatened, God has the ability, and I don't know how, but God has the ability to do something. And I don't know what it is, but God has the ability to transform the place that my danger threatens into a place of refreshing springs. 
new place where autumn rains, rains clothe, it with bless, clothe it with blessings. And I will grow stronger. And I will appear before God because God is close. Danger comes to your places, but God comes for your danger. Sometimes in our dangerous places, we feel like God is far away, but I want you to know this, in the dangerous places, you see just how close God will get. Back in Psalm 84, again, uh, you already heard this, but those whose joy, what joy for those whose strength comes from the Lord. Then we'll say later, what joy for those who trust in you. Yeah, there's joy for those people. Why? Because they're living off of strength and trust in the Lord. Not strength and trust off of other things. Like, what do you feel makes you strong? When you feel strong, because everybody has days and they're like, I feel pretty good. Like, I get it. Not everyone has a day every day where they're like, I feel good. But there are days when you're looking there and you're like, wow, you've been taking care of yourself, haven't you? And you're feeling a little better. Maybe you feel a little stronger. What makes you feel strong? I think about what makes me feel strong. Is it my intellect? Is it my accomplishments? Is it my social status? Is it how busy my schedule is? Is it my resume? Is it my dreams? Is it my passions? Is it all the things that I've overcome? What is it? What makes me feel strong? Huh. Or is it the Lord who makes you feel strong? When I think about it, I think about it like this. This apple, right, has the capability to make me strong in a sense, right? Like at least a little bit. Like I won't starve through the rest of the sermon if I bite into this and if I eat it, right? But this apple in and of itself is not strong anymore. It's detached from the tree. And so as horrible as this sounds and as beautiful and strong as this apple looks right now, it's dying because it's lost its strength. The apple doesn't make me strong. The tree makes me strong. The things in my life don't make me strong. The one who gives me the things in my life make me strong. God makes me strong. God, the one who has the power to make even the smallest, least valuable things in this world feel safe. That is the God who makes me strong. And then therefore I have joy because I can trust in this Lord. Trust in this Lord. Trust in this Lord. It is not simply, let's go ahead and compile the facts together, which is a really nice thing that we get to do as Christians. We can go ahead and look at the evidence. Like, okay, I mean, like, has God been with me or has God not? Compile the facts together. That's fine or live with God. You can research God, compile the facts, right? Or you can live with God, be entirely dependent on God, give your life to God, give your fears to God. And that's what it means to trust God. What joy for those whose strength comes from the Lord, because they're not looking to apples for strength, they're going to the source. And what joy for those who trust in God because they feel backed up. They believe the God that they've lived with, not just heard about, not just read a few facts about, the God they've depended on. What joy for those whose strength comes from the Lord. What joy for those who trust in the Lord. 
I was on that plane and that boy is sitting next to me and he's freaking out and I'm like trying to calm him down. I'm like, great, people are gonna think something about me. That's not true. And this little boy's sitting here, he's freaking out. He's like, you're not my mother. I'm like, I know you're not your mother. I know I'm not your mother. But as he grows in his fear, his mom taps him on the shoulder. I don't remember his name. So she said, Henry, come on. Henry, get back here. Henry. And then he's like, ah, to, oh. He gets up. He sits back in the seat next to her. You know what was interesting about that? In the danger, in the fear, because he was afraid, it drew his mom closer. Sometimes in my danger and in my fear, I believe God's far away. But it's not true with God. With God, it is in my danger, in my fear, it only draws him closer to me. This is what good parents do. When they see their child is afraid, whether the fear is real or not, that fear does not push them away. They're not afraid of the fear. That fear only draws them closer. And that was true for Henry or whatever his name was on the plane that day. But it's true for you in a deeper sense too. This is the God who gets close because of your danger, because of your fears, not even just in spite of them. God gets close. In the book of Mark chapter five, we see this story about just how close God gets. There was a father, his name was Jairus. Turn to the person next to you and say, Jairus. Jairus. Jairus was a religious man. Jairus would have spent a lot of time in the temple and Jairus and his friends would have looked down on Jesus and the people that Jesus hung out with because Jairus believed that his strength came from himself and his trust in the Lord only happened because he had done the things he was strong enough to do to get close with God. But people who trust in the Lord, people who get their strength from God, they cry. And now Jairus is crying and he has no option. I'm sure he's said things about this Jesus. I'm sure he's doubted this Jesus. I'm sure he's looked down on the people that Jesus hangs out with. I'm sure he's thought a few things about the people who call on Jesus. But Jairus looks at Jesus and says, I have no other option. Either God is close or God is far away because I'm, I'm afraid and my daughter is in danger. Jairus shouts out to Jesus through his tears, my little daughter's dying. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live, please. Heal her so she can live, please. Jesus says, yes, I'll get close. You're afraid and she's in danger. That only draws me closer. I'm not afraid. I'll get close. So Jesus says, yeah, I'll go. It's kind of a crazy series of events we don't have time to dive into today. As Jesus is walking toward Jairus' house to get to his daughter, this other miracle takes place. That's another sermon for another day. But the point is it, it took too long. And some of Jairus' friends come to him. They say, your daughter's dead. There's no use troubling Jesus now. Jesus overheard them and he said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith. There's something special about that word overheard. In the Greek, it quite literally means to hear and to dismiss. It's not like he's just merely ignoring it, like it doesn't matter. 
but he hears it and he dismisses it. It's as if Jesus' mind is different than our mind. It's as if Jesus' brain operates in a way that our brain doesn't operate yet. It's as if Jesus is not affected by reality in the same way that we're affected by reality. The danger wasn't just, I'm scared because I'm sitting next to a stranger on the plane. The danger was my daughter is dead. She's gone. My worst nightmare actually came true. And Jesus sees the reality. He hears what they said and he dismisses the reality. And as he continues to walk, it's as if he steps over reality like it's just a pebble. He looks at the dangers in our lives. He says, it has nothing over me. This danger that has come for you, I'm coming for the danger. Jesus overheard them and he said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith. I'm close. So what do you do when you're afraid? What do you do when the danger is just overwhelming? What do you do when the pain is just too much? After we had been assembling wheelchairs and we prayed over them and prayed over the people who received them, we were driving back to our camp in Haiti. And uh, they said, hey, would you guys like to stop at the hospital? Um, There's a little girl there, her name's Anika, and she's broken her leg. And it looks like she may be one of the people who might need one of these wheelchairs soon. That day they had said, we're probably gonna amputate her leg. And the team just immediately, yeah, let's go pray for her. Let's go visit her. Let's just, I don't know, let's just go do it. And and in our minds, we know what a hospital looks like here, but it's, it's not the same. We get there and I'm like, where's the hospital? They're like, that's the hospital. I'm like, where's the building? They're like, there's not much of a building. Think open air. Think no sanitation. I mean, it's the best that they can do with what they have down there, but it is very scary. You're seeing people on the verge of death laying in dirt and people trying to help them, but the danger is so real. The fear is so palpable. And then we get to Anika. And she's sitting there and she looks like she's pretty calm. And we gather around her and Anika's standing there and there's her mom and there's her brother. I didn't see her dad. And just as we're about to pray, I feel this nudge on my shoulder kind of pushing me out of the way. And this person goes and stands at the bedside where obviously her dad would be standing. It's her brother, her mom, and now her dad's here. And as I look from Anika, and then I look up to the dad, I was struck. I began to cry. It was to Ben's. And I'm thinking, to Ben's, you just told me that when you look at your daughter, you remember that God's close. 
how does this make you think God's close? We prayed over her. All of us are crying. We sing a song. And there's the Benz by his daughter's side, remembering that God's close. Because God's not afraid of your danger, God gets nearer in your danger. And God has a way to make you safe. And so Jairus, you know, another father who's worried for his daughter's life, I imagine he's standing by the bedside of his daughter who he's been told is dead. And in comes Jesus. And they remind Jesus, hey, she's dead. And he said, she's not dead, she's just sleeping. Everybody laughed at him, it says in Mark chapter five. Everybody laughed at him because they knew, no, she's dead. And Jesus says, okay, everyone leave. Everyone leave, everyone stand up and get out. Nothing's going to come between me and the danger. Nothing's going to become, come in between me and my daughter. Nothing's going to come in between me and the one that I love. The danger's drawing him closer. The fear is drawing him in. He steps over it like a pebble in the ground. And Jesus says something to her. He says, Talitha kum. Turn to the person next to you and say, Talitha kum. Now the Bible, the New Testament was written in Greek. The earliest copies that we have in the New Testament is in Greek, but this, Talitha Kum, it's in Aramaic. They recorded Jesus in Greek, but Jesus spoke in Aramaic. And it is so interesting that the author would decide, I can't record this part in Greek. I have to record this part in Aramaic. I don't want you to miss this part. This is what he said. He said, Talitha Kum, don't miss this fact. Don't miss this part. He said, Talitha Kum, Talitha kum, it literally means little girl, get up. But it was a popular phrase those days. It's even sweeter than little girl, get up. Quite literally, it would be translated as my dear, sweet child. Talitha kum is what a father would say to their kid after they've slept through the night. And it's just saying, hey, my dear, sweet child. It's time to wake up. And there's Jesus at the bedside of this young girl, sitting where her father would sit. And as if he's just raising her from a slumber, as if he's just ending the nightmare, it's as simple as that for Jesus. He says, it's time to wake up. It's time to wake up. when the nightmares disorient you. And your brain can't catch up. And it doesn't matter what people tell you. You're scared. Things are never gonna go back to the way they were. Things aren't gonna be okay. I'm not gonna be the same. And I invite you to see Jesus sitting where your dad would sit. I mean, a good dad. 
it's as simple as waking you from a nightmare. To say it's time to wake up. It's time to see reality. Someday you're going to see reality the way Jesus sees it. In the meantime, when the dangers are still here, when the fear is still here, whether that's something that's real or something that your brain just telling you is real, Jesus is next to you. The fear and the danger is drawing him closer to you. And someday we're going to hear that. It's time to get up. And it'll be like we just woke up from a nightmare. That's all it'll be. It'll be something in the past. And our brains will catch up. Our minds will catch up. Our hearts will catch up. Our souls will catch up. And we'll see reality the way that Jesus sees it. Unafraid. And we'll be safe. We're going to close tonight a little bit differently than usual. And as we do that, we're going to enter into a time of prayer. And then you're going to have a song just saying over you. And as we do this tonight, I just invite you, I, I invite you to just have the audacity to look your fears in the face. The nightmares that bother you, that disorient you. And I want you to feel the presence of God because he's close. Would you pray with me? Oh, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for coming close. Thank you for not being afraid. You are never afraid. You're never afraid. And the things in my life that scare me the most are nothing but a pebble on the road compared to you. My worst realities but a bad night with a bad dream to you. Lord, I pray a blessing over these students that they would feel your presence, that they would hear your voice, that we'd have the courage to wake up. And I ask, Lord, that the first thing that we see when we open our eyes, it would not be the fear. It would not be the danger. But it'd be the face living God who stands over the fear, who stands over the danger, and you say, come in, nestle with me. I make all creatures safe. I'd never leave you. I'd never abandon you. I can't. I can't. I've made that decision. And as a God who is true to his word at all times, I cannot go back on my word. And my word says, I am with you. I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. You might be struck down, but you are never destroyed. You might have been lied to, but I will not betray you. You might be afraid, but I will encourage you. You might be so scared to take one more step. And so I will stand in front of you and I will say, you can come now. And when I look back on my past and I'm afraid of what I've done and I'm afraid of the things that have happened, I worry I'm never going to be able to shake those off. I ask, Lord, that when we look back, we will not see those things anymore.
more, but we will see that you are the God who's not only before us. You are the God who's not only in it with us, but you are the God who goes after us. And when we look back to the past, we will see how you have worked in it, how you have truly brought all things to your glory. You've brought all things to good. Oh, yes, you work for good for the good of those who love you. Yes, you work for good. Yes, you work for glory. Yes, you work for our strength. Yes, you work for our joy. Those things have nothing on these people anymore. They have nothing on them. There is no shame. There is no guilt that could break them down. There is no death that could keep them in the dungeons of darkness. Lord, we look back and we see that you are making all things new. We look forward and we are encouraged to follow you. And in this moment right now, you sit next to us and you say, my dear child, I love you so much. I know you're afraid, but it only draws me closer to you. It only gets me nearer to you. And I say to you, wake up, see the world that I see the world, see yourself the way that I see you and see me the way I always wanted you to see me.